All right, 10.43. They told me that I can't preach in under 20 minutes, so I told them you're probably right. But we'll see what we can do today. I always want to make sure you get your money's worth, right? You know, that's... Uh, <laughs> Chad said you're so generous, and so i got to preach generously. Happy Sunday to all of you who are joining us today. Those of, that, of you that are guests, you're here to support the baptism. You're here uh, on vacation. We're so glad to have you. All of you joining us online today, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us. We pray that God would be ministering right where you are today. Um, I want to ask the question, where's all the people who love to eat? Where's the, the people you love? I love to eat. Where's the adventurous eaters? All the adventurous eaters... Right, you just love getting your mouth full of that like savory, sweet and salty, that tangy, well, that spicy, whatever it is, and you're just like, mm, I just the more the better, right? Where, where's all the safe and boring people? Where's all the picky eaters? You're like, yeah, just predictable and boring. That's how I want my food. Where's all the people where like few food is fuel, right? It's not about the you know the food. It's just like I eat my allotted calories for the any food is fuel people. You know, you got like your like your rations, the like astronaut rations or something. I don't know what it is. Uh, some people, I, I, I don't understand the people who th- are just food is fuel. Food is fun. But I, I want to, I probably, you've all experienced someone who's made you a meal that just hit a little different, right? Have you ever had a meal where you just got that in your mouth and you were like, wow, right? Have you ever had that wow experience where your eyes got wide and you were like, this is amazing. I need to know your secret. Have you ever had a meal like that where you're like, I need to know your secret. What's the secret sauce, right? What's the secret spice? What's the secret ingredient that just makes this elevated, this elevated dish, right? And uh, there's websites, if you go online, and they'll try to uh, dissect, and they'll try to tell you how to make the secret sauces. You know, you can go online, and you can get like the secret Big Mac sauce from McDonald's, like our version of McDonald's Big Mac sauce. Anyone love Big Mac sauce, right? Nobody, okay. How about like Starbucks? You want to know the summer mango dragon fruit refresher? How do I make it just like Starbucks for a fraction of the price? How can I do that at home, right? So we have websites dedicated to our version of and trying to dissect what are the secret ingredients, the secret recipe. Uh, How about KFC chicken rub? You know, Colonel Sanders died in 1980, and we're still trying to figure out the secret to his 11 herbs and spices, right? And uh, we're trying to figure that out. That's for all of you people who are older than millennials. Uh, You'll get that reference. The secret 11 herbs and spices. Now, here's the thing. I'm not much of a cook. My secret sauce comes from cans. I hate to admit it, but it's true. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, I got home and I was like, you know what? Like, I, I, I'll make dinner. Holly was busy doing worship practice or something. And I'll make dinner. And I thought, let's have some spaghetti. Anyone love some spaghetti? And so I got the spaghetti. I got the pasta. I got the, the, the canned sauce. And I thought, this is, this is so lame, Jerry. Like, you're a grown man. You should know how to cook better than this. And so, like, you just, let's try to elevate this a little bit. And so I went in the garden, I got some fresh basil, and I threw it in there, and I added it to the sauce, and I got some meat. But my issue was, was we had had tacos the night before, and we had leftover taco meat. Taco meat is hamburger at our house, and I thought, I don't want to waste this taco meat. So if I throw this taco meat into the spaghetti sauce, like this, you know, it'll be like a Mexican spaghetti. It'll be good. Arriba! You know? And... 
and we'll like, it'll be good, and like the spaghetti sauce will cover up all that flavor, and it'll be fine, right? And so I put a little olive oil in there, a little basil, a little salt and pepper, and uh, then I put a little of minced garlic, and I was just throwing in whatever I thought would elevate this spaghetti sauce to the next level. I didn't know this, but Holly had bought some, like, I don't know what it was. This garlic that she bought it was like superpower garlic. It's like a different brand that we'd ever bought before, and so I'm tasting the spaghetti spaghetti sauce, and I'm like, Mama Mia, this is terrible, <laughs> right? I'm thinking of this, I'm like, what? Well, this is gross. This is like taco and garlic, and so then I started Googling, how do you get rid of like garlic sauce, and it said add more salt, and add more of this, and like, I just kept adding and adding and tasting and tasting, and then I served it. I'm like, this is good, you know, I got, we got served it, and everyone was kind of like, Ew, right? They were like, ew. The more I added, the worse it got. How many know in life and in cooking, often there's a saying that says, less is more, right? The more I added, the worse it got. The less is more. Unless you're trying to make Brussels sprouts, then it's like more. Cover that baby up. You don't want to taste <laughs> Brussels sprouts. Season, season that baby, right? You're having meat, you're having chicken, you're having steak. You want the meat to be like the flavor, right? Just a little olive oil, just a little salt and pepper. Less is more. The secret is simple. Less is more. So now if you're just joining us, we're wrapping up a five-week series today. And we've been looking at the book of Philippians together. The Apostle Paul's letter to Christian believers in the city of Philippi. And uh, this is a church that he had planted only 10 years earlier. And so he's writing to them this letter. And throughout this letter, he's trying to be encouraging. He's encouraging them and he's cheering them on. And one of the predominant themes throughout this letter is the theme of joy. How do we have joy? How do we keep rejoicing even when life is a struggle? And uh, so he's talking to them about discouragement and despair. And sometimes it's not just, it's just the daily grind of life that can rob us of our joy. And so uh, Paul's talking about how to have and keep and maintain their joy. And so if you've missed any of those, if you're here and you're like, I just really need a joy pick-me-up, a joy refresher, you can go on our YouTube channel and all the services are on there. You can get caught up. Um, but here's the thing. Life can feel like a struggle sometimes, can it? Sometimes it's not even that anything's overtly wrong. Sometimes you're just kind of like, I just don't know what it is, but I just feel like life is out of control. Sometimes I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel, and I'm running, running, running. Life is spinning, but I never feel like I'm getting anywhere. Have you ever had that experience? Do you know that many Canadians would say that they have a, a certain level of happiness in life, yet also report a feeling of discontent? It's this persistent feeling of unease or of never feeling quite satisfied. It's like this unsettled sense that we're missing something. And so a lot of people report that this is how I feel. And I wonder if it's because so much of our focus and our vision is on what's next. You ever thought of that? What's next? What's happening next weekend? Right? When's my next vacation? What's the next purchase that I'm saving up to make? What is the next experience that I'm looking forward to? We're thinking always about what is next. And if it's not next, our, it's about our quest to upgrade. 
How can I upgrade and level up my life? What can I get that's better? Can I get a better job? Can I get better pay? Can I get a better boss? Not the pastors here. Like they're, they're happy with where they're at, I think. <laughs> right? But can we have a better car? Can I get a better home? And so we're thinking about what's next and we're thinking about what can I upgrade and improve in my life. And so it's easy for many of us to be trapped in a discontented life because our mindset is fixed on what's more, bigger, better, and next. We think about what's the next thing I can add to my life that's gonna make it more meaningful, more fulfilling, more satisfying? What's the next thing that I can upgrade to make it better, make it more comfortable? And so it contributes to living days and weeks and years of our lives with this persistent sense that the next thing, the next purchase, the next experience is gonna be more fulfilling and more rewarding and add value to my life. It's gonna lead to joy. And so we pointed out in this series, ironically, that although the Apostle Paul is talking about joy, he mentions it 16 times in these four short chapters, the, the irony of it is the place from which he's writing. He's not writing from a place that uh, elicits joy. It's, not, it's one of the least inspiring, most depressing places, I think, on the planet at the time that he was writing. He's writing from a Roman prison. He's writing from this place uh, where his freedoms and his opportunities have been stripped from him. But rather than letting that get him down, he's talking about maintaining joy. And so in today's chapter, he's going to share the secret sauce. He's going to talk about the secret ingredient to having inextinguishable joy. So if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens as well. Philippians 4, and, and here's the key verse we're starting with today. We, we've read this every week. Key verse, why don't you read this with me? Uh, Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Always full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let's say it again. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Uh, so we talking about this is the irony. Always, always, yeah, always. He seriously means it. He says this, let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. We talked about that last week. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He says, keep putting into practice. Keep doing this until it becomes second nature. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me, saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot in that passage. I preached about that in our Health Check series uh, in February. If you want to go back on YouTube, you can check that out. But here's where we're going today. Philippians 4, verse 11. This is the secret sauce. Everyone say secret sauce. Secret sauce. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ 
who gives me strength. Contentment is the secret sauce to joy. Contentment is the secret sauce to joy. Contentment, as we look in this Greek word, is uh, uh, autarkrisi. Autarkrisi. <laughs> I just mixed it up. Autarkrisi. And uh, this word basically means, as we look in the Greek, it's a state of satisfaction. It's a, a peaceful happiness. It's a sufficiency in oneself, meaning I'm independent of external circumstances. I'm good with who I am and where I'm at, regardless of what's happening around me. See, contentment is more than a feeling, right? If you've ever had a good meal and you lean back, you're like, oh, I feel really content. That's not contentment. Contentment is more than a feeling. It's more than an emotional response to what's happening to us or around us. Contentment is a posture. It's a mindset. It's a, it's a lifestyle. That's what contentment is. And so we, learn, we see here that contentment, Paul wants us to know, is that contentment is learned. He says here, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Who would agree with me that contentment is not your natural default? Anyone? How many know that we're not naturally born content? All the parents are like, yes, I know, right? Be content with what you have. That's like an ongoing, on repeat. And just in case you needed a little bit of proof today, I have a little bit of clip to, to show you that contentment is not humanity's natural default. Let me show this clip. Hollis. Some of you are having PTSD, just hearing the crying, like, ah, ah. I said that to Holly, she goes, no, it gives me baby fever. <laughs> I want more, I don't know. From the beginning of time, no, we're not having more, just <laughs> forget that. Stay on track, we're at a limited time today, all right. People have wrestled with contentment. Since the Garden of Eden, as God put Adam and Eve in the garden, they said, all of this is yours. Eat freely, partake of all that is here, except everything but the one thing that I'm telling you not to have. How many know, as soon as someone says, it's all good, except for the one thing, right? How many know you're like, that's the one thing I want, right? You put the kids in a room full of toys, and you introduce another kid, and that's the one thing that I gotta have. How many know the story of humanity is that contentment is always elusive. It's always just outside our reach, and as Adam and Eve were in the garden, we saw that there's just the reaching for something that wasn't theirs to have. And so the secret sauce of contentment is that less is more. Less is more. 
You know, you might have be able to relate to the man who was searching for inner peace and purpose and deciding he needed a change in his life. He went to a monastery. He wanted to spend a few days and as the monk toured him around the property and he showed him the grounds that, and the monk took him to his room and said, here's your room. He said, uh, this is where you're going to be staying. He said, if there's anything that you need, just let us know and we'll teach you how to live without it. <laughs> right? We automatically think that contentment means to have less, to own less, to settle for less, which can be helpful, and, and it, but it's not necessarily true. Listen to what Paul says here. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret to living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Contentment is not a vow of poverty. Contentment is learning that my situation doesn't influence my satisfaction with life. No matter where I find myself, I can be content with nothing or with everything. See, contentment is about learning that my outside world doesn't have to dictate the state of my joy and my peace in my inner world. In one, week one, we said that joy is a choice. And the truth is that if we're not happy now, we're not going to be happy with more. And so a lot of us think that there's something to add to our life that will lead us to satisfaction and contentment. But the secret sauce of contentment is that less is more. Not necessarily meaning that we're having less, but about being less concerned with what I have. And about being more concerned with how I'm using what I have and how I'm doing regardless. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. See, contentment's not our natural response. It's learned. It's part of growing and becoming mature. How do we know that babies are naturally discontent, right? And the reason for that is they're happy as long as everything is going the way they want. Right, but just change that and the discontentment rises to the surface. I mean, it's, it's not being a baby. <laughs> being mature has nothing to do with age. You can be old and immature, right? You can be old and immature. I hate to break it to you, right? But this is about learning to be content regardless with how, about how things are going. If there's anything we know, it's that life comes with seasons. It brings highs and lows. And regardless of what season you find yourself in, you can be content. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says, True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can take nothing with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, contentment doesn't mean settling. You know, we're inundated daily with marketing and advertisement that tries to stir in us the sense that we need the latest. We you know we need to upgrade to the newest. Contentment can seem to us like a bad word, you know? And no one makes money off of contentment, right? Next time you're looking at advertising, no, no one makes money after contentment. But contentment doesn't mean settling. It doesn't mean complacency. Contentment doesn't mean that we are giving up on our ambitions or we're uh, getting rid of goals, that we're letting our dreams die. 
That's not what contentment is. We also see that we have, yeah, the kids are joining us. We have, a, a, in a few moments, we're going to uh, be celebrating Pastor Lisa. You guys are a little early, but it's good to see you. Come on and get it for the kids. How do we know we got to, yeah. We got to make the most of our gifts, our talents, our time. Being a steward of what we have means that we are learning contentment. Contentment is not giving up on ambition, goals, or dreams. Contentment is learning that I don't need to have more to be happy. That I can have my identity secure in my circumstances. Now, there's a couple things that uh, we are tempted at times. I'm losing it. The kids are so cute, I know. <laughs> but we're tempted at times to believe that our identity comes from exterior things. I need three helpers today. Uh, is there three kids? Who's, uh, do we have three uh, like older kids? Yeah, come on up here. I need three of you. Come, yeah, come up. Yeah, all right. Now, now you guys have put the pressure on me. Now we've got to go. This is like, all right. So here's, you're going to hold that for me, all right? How many know sometimes we're tempted to find our identity in performance, right? I am what I do, right? We find our identity and I am what I do. Sometimes we find our identity in our possessions, right? I am what I have. I find my worth and my status and what I have. And then sometimes we find, popular, we find our identity in popularity. I am what other people think or say about me. How many know that that affects us quite a bit at times, even as adults, what people think and say about me? But here's the thing. These are false identities. These are false things. We find discontentment when we're always trying to add to and live in this realm. But here's the thing. When we look vertically to Jesus and we look to what Jesus says about us, uh, in Genesis 1.27, it says that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we don't need to find our identity and our performance. Why don't you flip that over? This verse says that we are image bearers. We're made in the imago day of God. That means that it's not found in, in um, performance. It's about not in what I do. It's about who God's made me to be. I'm a reflection of Christ Jesus. Then we look over here at possessions. I am what I have. John 1.12 says, All who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so it's not our possessions that make us who we are. It's that God says we are his children. We find our identity. And, that, and then lastly, as we look at what other people say or think about me, in Ephesians 2.10, it says we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works he created for us long ago. And so we don't find our identity in popularity or what other people think of us, but we find ourselves looking at what God thinks of us that we are his masterpiece made with a purpose. See, as we look horizontally at the things around us, we look at what other people have, what other people are doing, we find our identity in that, and we are left discontented. There's always someone doing more or someone excelling more. But as we look vertically to Jesus and we say, Jesus, who do you say that I am? We find that we have a whole different identity and purpose. So why don't you give it up for my friends today. Thank you so much. You came at just the right time. You can go join your friends there. And what brings us to our final verse, Ephesians 4, 13, says this. 
For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Probably the second most famous and popular verse of scripture behind John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Is this verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. Some of you might have that tattooed. Anyone have that tattoo today somewhere on you? Right? Maybe it's in your Instagram bio, Philippians 4.13. And uh, maybe you have a plaque on your wall. I can do all things through Christ. And we use that as a motivational speech that I can climb the mountain. I can make the team. I can get the job. I can do whatever I set my mind to do. But Paul's using this verse not to motivate us towards accomplishments and achievements. He's using this verse to say, I can be content in all things, whether I have little, whether I have a lot, because Christ gives me the strength to do it. Christ is my source of identity. Christ is my source of contentment, not achievement, not accomplishment. It's the secret sauce of joy. It's finding our identity in Christ, which leads to contentment. Well, it leads to the fact that whether I have a lot or I have a little, I always have Jesus. And I can have peace in that. I'm going to invite you to uh, just look at the screen for a moment. I was going to say close your eyes, but look at the screen if you can. Four questions for us today, and then we're going to wrap up. Four questions are this. Do you find yourself wanting more? And if so, Why? It's not bad to want more. It's not bad to have goals or aspirations or achievements, but why? What is it going to fulfill for you or, or what will that lead to? It's good to have goals and ambitions, but it's not gonna satisfy the contentment in my life. Do you acknowledge that the source of things you have come from Christ? If you didn't achieve or acquire one more thing, would that be okay for you? And if you lost everything today, who would you be? Who would you be? See, this isn't about circumstances dictating our contentment. It's about I am good with God. I'm going to walk in his power, walk in his freedom, walk in his grace each and every day. If you can, would you just bow your head with me this morning? And if we're going to pray, you kids are doing so good. You're the best. Awesome. Jesus, we just thank you today for this incredible gift we have of your presence. Even in this place, Holy Spirit, you're here right now. Lord, as we were wrapping up this series on joyfulness, even when life is a struggle, we pray that today we'd be settled. We'd be settled knowing that whatever comes our way, whether we have a lot or a little, we can have the secret sauce of joy. It's contentment. For those that are feeling that the hamster wheel keeps spinning, that there's something they're missing today, something there's a void that needs to be filled and we're trying to add on or trying to upgrade in order to fulfill it. I pray today that you would put us at peace, God. It's not possessions, it's not popularity, it's not performance, but it's about finding our identity in you, Christ Jesus, we pray. Lord, as we go and as we live out this truth this week, I pray that you would be be reminding us each and every day. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. For those of us that are here and and maybe we're not used to listening to the voice of God, we're not used to tuning our attention to you, might be new for us today. 
But God, I pray there'll be something stirring in us, just like the people getting baptized. There's something I need to respond to today. Don't understand it fully. But I think that Jesus is calling me. I love Liz said he's knocking on the door of my heart. I need to let him in. Right now, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you're saying today, Pastor Jerry, I know that God's been knocking on the door of my heart, but I haven't answered that door. And you're, today you're saying, yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time that I let Jesus into my life. I don't understand fully what that means, but I know that God promises it's going to be good. Anyone this morning, you just lift your hand that I could pray with you today and say, I'm answering that door today. I need Jesus in my life. Anyone? I want to give you that opportunity today. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Yes. Thank you so much. Amazing decision. Amazing decision today. Well, God, we celebrate all that you're doing in us, through us. We pray that you would bless this day. In Jesus' name we pray.